0: My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard transmissions podcast with
1: your host, Jason Woodbury.
0: to another episode of aquarium drunkard transmissions this week on the show daryl black eagle jameson and guitarist jonathan gott who join us to discuss their collaborative album as medicine singers they first crossed paths on the road and their collaborative effort pairs the powwow drum and voices of eastern medicine singers with jonathan's electrified guitar and also features contributions from experimental composer joe rainey Aiku Mori of DNA, Thor Harris of Swans, previous transmissions guest Laraji, and the late great Jamie Branch, whose recent passing is a genuine tragedy. Apologies for not remarking on it sooner. Tapped into a kind of frenzied energy, Medicine Singers are an overpowering force, and the album features a transcendent cover of Link Ray's immortal Rumble. Daryl and Yonatan joined me this week to discuss it all on transmissions. And a quick word before we get into it, sorry about some of the audio in this one, there was an issue with the connection on one side, and uh, it's a little crackly, but the conversation is more than worth it. Speaking of stuff that's worth it, Aquarium Drunkard is out on Patreon. Help us keep the servers humming so we can keep bringing you podcasts, radio shows, interviews, mixtapes, records. Lanyep sessions our weekly newsletter sidecar the aquarium drunkard picture show i could go on and on but i won't help us keep doing it all by hitting aquarium drunkard up on patreon all right let's get into it medicine singers on transmissions Thank you both for taking the time to do it. It's a huge, it's a huge honor. I really enjoy the record, and it's been wild listening to it. Um, how do you feel now that it's a, uh, now that it's all been created? When you listen back, how do you feel about this record? The both of you,
2: <laughs> I, lo- I love it. I mean, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of great dynamic energy in it and everything, and uh, you know, the blend is, you know, is perfect. I think, you know. It's almost it's almost magical,
0: you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. For me, it's kind of hard to believe that it's out because we've been working on it for so long. It just ended up, I don't know, it ended up becoming a really ambitious project with a lot of musicians from all over the world. You know, we have musicians from Brazil and from Canada and from the United States, singers. And yeah, it's just like, been such a kind of crazy thing to bring together it's kind of funny to think that it's out and people can just listen to it it's great it feels very liberating this is one of those
0: one of those records where you know a lot of times i get records in my inbox and people will send me stuff and they'll say you should check this out it doesn't sound like anything else and you know you hear that however many times you hear that and you think yeah, sure. Everybody thinks their record doesn't sound like anybody else's record, but in the case of this medicine ring- singers record, I don't know. It doesn't sound like any other record I've ever heard. That's got to. <laughs> that's got to feel cool. It,
2: it wow. does. It does feel cool, you know. And, and uh, I think that that's kind of what we intended to make it sound like. No, nobody else's music. No, no other sound. You know. Uh, you know. We wanted. We wanted to. Bring it to a different level for people so that they when they heard it they'd be like you know this is a this is a whole new venue that these guys have touched and you know i think that you know we've been doing this for five years putting this together and uh you know i think we influenced a lot of other people as well while we were doing it sure uh, other musicians and things and uh you know the magic of it when i see my my own grandkids are like hey you know grandpa we can dance to this. This is this is cool. You know, you're you're a cool grandfather, man. <laughs> you know? And when I yeah. heard that, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is this is it right here. We nailed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, for me, it's like a, it's really amazing that the Eastern Medicine singers on this record they kind of they kind of do their own thing, and then the other musicians who joined, like Jamie Branch or Thor Harris. Ikuemori, Laraji, all, everyone kind of threw down on this record are kind of doing their own thing too, you know? And so that's kind of like, for me, that's the beauty of improvisation a little bit, you know, because that's kind of how we made this record. You know, it's just like, it came together really naturally. You know, we met in South Bay Southwest, you know, just kind of like, you know, that story is kind of like written about everywhere where people write about us. That, and it just kind of happened really naturally, you know, and uh, we started playing shows, and, like we started getting invited to more shows. And then we just kind of started recording stuff. And then, you know, we played this show, we meet this artist, they kind of join us, you know, and start playing with us. And it just happened really, really naturally. And I think that's really cool because nobody kind of had to make any compromises, you know, maybe that's why it took a little bit of a long time to kind of figure out this uh, way of working or something like that, because we're just, everybody were trying to just be really sensitive and kind of stay out of each other's way and have fun, you know, like not, and, uh, no, nobody kind of like, it doesn't feel like it's the, the decisions on this record are like one person's decisions. It feels like a collective, yeah. you know? And the fact that Eastern medicine singers are playing their traditional powwow music and with the drum and everything, and you kind of like maintain that kind of like live thing. That was a little bit of the challenge. We had to come up with like some studio tricks to kind of like get that done. But I think that's, that's really special, you know, that there's like a really cool combination of like, The traditional uh, kind of like powwow music and the other styles on top of the traditional, yeah, yeah. But it's all kind of goes back to the to the powwow.
0: That attention, that attention to the way the drums were recorded. That seems like that was really. I mean, obviously, with traditional indigenous powwow music, you're going to have a heavy, heavy emphasis on the percussive element on that like you know i i i i i'm here in arizona i grew up in the desert uh grew up in a kind of a small town called coolidge very close to the Tohana autumn reservation in in uh arizona so i mean i i got to go to powwows when i was younger and i got to experience that and there's nothing like the the percussive swell that 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 very very powerful thing when we're talking about music that is experimental uh, borrows from rock and jazz and electronic the way this record does. It's interesting that, you know, you kind of, it, it almost feels like the drums are the foregrounding instrument, you know, which is not what you always hear on a record.
2: I think so. I mean, and I think that's kind of the way that we meant it to be is so that that would be like the specific, you know, uh, tune in the background but also up front at the same time, yeah. you know, so that it, it brought out the culture and it would, it would be, you know, pleasing to both sides of the arena, to the, to the native people, because Hey, our music's out there. And then also to the regular mainstream, you know, music lovers is that, wow, this is pretty cool. We can actually have a powwow drum playing and we can synthesize and make you know, make it sound great with regular mainstream music, and, and you know that kind of was the idea. But the main focus was, you know, to bring out the the culture because, uh, as you say, you were down in Arizona, the totally different sound
1: of oh, yeah. the drums
2: down there. You know, they have a southern style. Um, I think that's a little closer to eastern than like the plain style. Um, so. That was a big thing is we wanted to let people know that the eastern culture still exists there's still people out there doing it and there's still the language being you know uh transcribed spoken and made in the songs and i think the way that we did especially the you know the drop that we had with um, daybreak where we brought out the actual lyrics in the in the video that was important and it was you know it was it was huge for for the you know for the preservation of the language because that's you know it's going to go on forever now you know yeah and uh um, i think that really you know putting all that together and you know jonathan's skill of mimicking our sound you know is just you know it was amazing and like he said i mean it just happened naturally in fact at first i wasn't even going to play with him you know I was yeah. Like, ah no, I'm not gonna do this. And then, you know, uh Ray, Ray uh Tewalk says to me, he goes, Come on, you're the you're the Kim, king of improvision, you know. We played with because we played with Scottish uh bagpipers, you know, Kudu, who's uh sure. a great man, travels all over the place, good friends of mine, uh Dave Majaker, and we did a we did something together and it was wild, you know, everybody loved it, and then Of course, uh, he's like, well, you know, you're not going to try the rock end. And I said, all right, let's do it, you know. So we did. We went in. We were down in Austin, and I went in there with the drum after he was already playing. (laughs) We walked in, and we set up, and we played the song. And I'm looking around. It looked like people were kind of, like, crying, upset. I'm like, hey, guys, get the drum. Let's get out of here before they kill us. You know? He comes running back out. He goes, they love you, right? So we came in and we ended the set, you know, playing like that. And it was just an amazing, you know, and it was a spur of the moment. Nothing practice. Yeah. Nothing. Just like play, improvise. Let's let's see what we can do together. And I think that's what made it so beautiful in the first place, you know, because it came together so naturally yeah. like that. Right? You know? That's
1: the, thing. that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing that I always feel about music, you know, the kind of, the more music I make, the more I find it. Really, the best way of working is just getting the right people in the room, you know, people that are kind of like, like minded in some ways, but also make it different than others. Yeah. You know? And let them do their thing. You know, it's just like, everybody, like, it's very easy to try to kind of like, micromanage situations that people have to play and things like that. But by, by kind of like saying nothing and leaving lot of space, maybe, maybe, you have to have like a little bit of patience for things to develop and things like that. But once they do, everyone is fully being themselves, you know, because they haven't really been kind of like corrupted, you know. And that's kind of like how it felt with all the musicians in, the, in this recording. You know, people really got to just come and explore, you know. And it was amazing, you know, to go back to your question about the drum. We always, uh, we really wanted to make like, the ultimate like power drum recording or something like yeah. that because i i would tour, i would tour um, medicine singers a lot and i would hear their drum live and stuff and i kind of lear, learn what what it does to me you know it kind of like it almost like triggers hallucinations that drum it's really interesting you know it's really powerful and a lot of times like i don't know it's easy for like people kind of like pay so much attention to the way they mic a drum set like in rock music or something like that but i feel like maybe the same attention can be paid for the power drum too. So we just kind of like, we went to this incredible studio in Providence where Eastern medicine singers live machines with magnets. And we really set out to like, you know, create like that John Bonham of like power drums and something yeah. like that, you know, with tons, of, tons of room mics and just like really elaborate kind of like things. And to kind of like really try to capture the power of that drum, you know, because like Daryl was kind enough to like, let me sit and drum with Eastern medicine singers a few times. And, like you were talking about powers in your childhood and stuff like that, but just something so powerful and incredible about the drum. So, yeah, that's definitely like the focus point, point of the record, you know. We were really trying to get uh, the power drum that sounds as much as the Eastern Medicine singers sound like, you know. Y-
0: Jonathan, you mentioned that, you know, your the, the meeting at South by Southwest has been discussed uh, a fair amount. But I wonder if you could tell me what it was that made you want to play with the Eastern Medicine Singers and what was it that inspired you to go over and suggest that that collaboration in, in that yeah. moment?
1: Yeah. So unlike you, I did not grow up in uh, the United States. I grew mm-hmm. up in Israel. So I didn't really grow up with power music and things like that. I kind of heard it in passing, but until I met Eastern Medicine Singers five years ago, I didn't know that much about power music. And... Um, the first one of the first things that kind of like spoke to me when I heard them play was that their music really kind of sounds a lot like rock and roll in a way, and kind of would kind of fit a rock and roll band. I didn't really know why, because I don't know. I didn't really kind of like stop to bother to think about why. I just kind of like saw musicians that sounded incredible, and I wanted to see how that drum and how does those vocals would sound with my guitar band that I was doing at the time. Uh, Brian Chase was playing drums on that tour, and says I was playing bass. And we just, I just kind of wanted to see how it's going to sound. And yeah, and it sounded great. And then later I started learning about power music from Daryl. And then that the documentary Rumble came out like six months later or something like that. It's on Netflix yeah. now, so people who are watching can, can see it there probably. And and the documentary really kind of talks a lot. And we were covering Rumble before the documentary came out, just because I happened to know that uh, Link Ray was native, which is something that's not some people still don't know that which is interesting you know they talk about it in the movie how he had to hide it back then and i think we can still feel the effects of that like until this very day or something like that you know and so it just kind of made sense to start like playing rumble because it's all based on that power beat, you know on the the heartbeat and they talk about that in the movie too very beautifully and the movie kind of just like it's a documentary and the first kind of third of the movie is about the song rumble and then like there's another hour about different contributions from Native American musicians to music right. history. And you just see that there's so many, so much of the roots of like rock and roll in specific, and jazz, and I would claim that minimalism too, you know, comes from like those indigenous influences. And I learned that later, you know, when I just heard them live, I was just like, wow, this sound like it's going to really fit what we do. So it was you know?
0: more, it was more instinctual. You were just sort of like, just... Dra- drawn to the to what you were hearing, you didn't have much of a
1: that that idea. It, 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 it sounded to me like if we would just get on stage together without saying anything, because my my trio was kind of like improvisers, you know, like really used to kind of just take like different situations. And the Eastern Medicine singers were doing what they were doing so so incredibly. So we felt we felt like I kind of said like they would fit what we did, but also we can fit what they did, you know. So like we were the first song we released, like it kind of what was kind of like. Is a part of my record, but then, and they were guests on on one track, but then we released, like, a full record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was more kind of, like, how we can fit onto their music. So... And kind of respect it and give it, give it the space to just be, because it's, it's so amazing without us already.
0: Well, I love that you didn't have to tell people what to do, and that, in fact, what you were trying to do in the studio... Was encourage everybody to do their own their own thing. I think about like the incredible trumpet work by Jamie Branch. You know, Laraji, who has been on this show in the past. Uh, Laraji is a one of a kind individual. I've never spoken with anybody quite on his wavelength. You know, so it's like that you're able to to bring all these things in. I mean, I think that there's been a lot of when people have talked about the album and when we're. Con- conceptualizing it there's a lot of i think attention paid to that idea of like you know modern influence and indigenous influence or traditional sound i think one of the things that i appreciate so much about the record is that when you're listening to it i I think it kind of reveals that that's a little bit of a false binary right like indigenous music um (laughs) <laughs> the first people who played indigenous music weren't sitting around saying, we're going to come up with indigenous music now. They were doing the same thing that people who make, you know, electronic records do right now, which is, we're just going to make... S-
1: and experimenting and pushing forward. Exactly, you know? right?
0: So it's like the idea that that there's like sort of a dividing line between the old and the new or the the traditional and the radical or the, you know, indigenous and the, uh uh you know... Maybe uh, to say these newer forms are somehow separate from that. Like, I understand all that, of course. But listening to the record, you really do hear some of those boundaries... Blur the lines that divide them are very porous, right? And I think that's something that this record really speaks to, as does the fact that Link Ray, this rock star, the song Rumble, a song that was banned for its explicit content despite the fact that there are no lyrics. You know, <laughs> that's that's an accomplishment, <laughs> it's, the, it's
1: kind of like the first punk song in a way, you know, and it's like and it's a true American minimalist masterpiece, you know. That no wonder it was done by somebody with that could kind of like draw from such a rich history of music that people don't know enough about that,
0: that, yeah, that version of it. Oh, go ahead, Daryl. I don't mean to cut you off. I apologize.
2: I I think the, uh, you know, we put the heartbeat, you know, the heartbeat into that song. We use the double beat in that song, a social song. And I mean, I think it just, it makes it all that much powerful, you know, with that, with the beat in it and everything. And of course, it's the the chanting adds, adds adds to it as well, and it you know it, it gives it a whole different dimension, and it's a dimension more of okay, that's a native written rock song, and now we got a native group you know enhancing it you know and with you know with the Yonatan skill the duplication of that song, I mean I I love that song, and it's just like. It gives you so much power and energy when you're playing it. I mean, I lose my mind when I'm playing that song. You know, yeah, because I can, I can feel, you know, yeah, and I can feel what he was trying to get across. But also now I'm, I'm feeling it with the drum, you know. So it's like, you know, we're brothers, we're brothers, you know, tribal people from other nations. But you know, we all know the pain of what our people went through. So. I think that's what rumble really was about is it was the pain of what he had to go through. And, you know, he's fighting back, you know, it's a rumble. We you know, we're not standing down. We're still here. And that's kind of what we same thing that we're doing. It's like the Eastern people are still here. You don't really hear that much about Eastern Algonquin music, hardly at all. So I think the two of them combined like that is very interesting and it's interesting to people, you know,
0: yeah, Link Link claimed uh, Shawnee an- ancestry, is that right? Yes, yep. See, that's another thing that I think that the record speaks to so beautifully, is, uh, is the fact that in addition to that sort of maybe somewhat false binary that I mentioned about the different musical, you know, traditional versus new or anything along those lines, in that same vein of thinking there's an unfortunate tendency i think by a lot of people um to uh, also think of the native the native peoples as uh one thing you know that it's just like native native that's just everybody but there's vast differences vast cultural differences vast musical differences that you have already alluded to uh b- but the medicine singer's record incorporates a kind of pan Native, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess if that's the, if that's the right way to put it, there's a lot of different kinds of native music being explored in addition to all of the other kinds of music that are being explored on this record. So it's exploratory in every in every way, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, exploratory. To you know, like there's a lot. There's other groups doing stuff, but I think because. There's not, you don't hear a lot of the Eastern Algonquin and how we sing. It's so different than, you know, the other types of uh, powwow music. I think it just adds like that, that edge of almost like like magical to a little bit eerie, like some of the songs. If you look at like uh, uh, Sunrise, you know, in the beginning of Rumble, I mean, the echo of that singing, you know, of Adi Red Medicine coming in. You know, it gives you that eerie feeling before we drop into Rumble, of what Sunset sounds like, and it's it's just an amazing blend of powerful, you know, Eastern music.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, Jonathan. Uh, just for for the studio geeks out there, uh, the guitar sound on that song is insane. It's just, it's absolutely mind-blowing how heavy that is and it's what two i think it's two chords you know it's like barely it's and it's power chords but were you running through a wall of amps was that one amp just mic'd real close
1: i'm actually super happy i'm super happy to tell you about the story of how this guitar is recorded because it's just kind of like a fun day so my friend there's this dude his name is john Shim. is in oakland and I met him when my ba- when my band was playing Austin in like 2015 or something. I think he saw a random show in South by Southwest, whatever. And he just kind of like showed up, gave me his card. And he's like, hey, I have a studio in Oakland. You can come here and, re- and like record and stuff like that. And he's been like super generous. Just kind of like let us use this incredible studio, 25th Street in Oakland, which is a, just like a really, it's owned, I think, by Roy Lichtenstein's son. They're like really well budgeted. for Who's kind of like a guitar collector or something like that. So when he got married, I, we became friends. Me and the the studio manager. When he got married, he was like, "Do you want to just like use the studio when you're in town?" And I'm like, "Cool, but like you know, none of the cats are around, so it's just kind of me. Like, what do I have to do alone in the studio?" I was like, "Oh, I need, I need to do like because I, I kind of wanted to like redo the guitars for Rumble, you know? And I re- I played it live in the studio, but I had a feeling that like you know, when in the studio, we're really kind of focusing on getting that great take from like everybody else, and I wanted to kind of like, re-record the guitar." So he just kind of gave me the studio. It's like this huge facility. And I just walk in to just record guitar. I'm kind of like, you know, there with like my daughter, my My daughter was like two, was like with me. And we just walk into this great studio. And I see like this 1957 Jaguar kind of like lying around. And I'm like, Hey, can I use that? You know, that's like the studio owner's guitar. And I think they had them. Damn, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I always confuse between the residents and the replacements, but like, <laughs> One of those bands left their modified, like, Fender Quad there or something like that, which is just, like, they added a master volume button to it or something like that. So it's just, like, amazing amp and, like, a 1957 guitar that was just, you know, laying around there and stuff like that. So, yeah, connected to the amp, mic through four kind of, like, great microphones, probably running through, like, a Fairchild, kind of, like, one of those legendary Fairchild compressors. It's just, like, an example of, like, one of the few times in my life where I actually, like, used...
0: Yeah. Good equipment, you know
1: what I mean, and and I, and I can I can kind of hear it there, you know. You got all those legends about like guitars. there's like another on the on the track "Sunsets" too, I played like Neil Young's like nineteen seventy five guitars, to his like Fender Blues DeVille, like nineteen seventy three, because that was in Canada, in the National Music Center of Canada, and they just have that equipment kind of laying around. There's, like, all those legends about, like, those, like, super expensive instruments, like, sounding so different. You know, I found that, like, some of my favorite guitar sounds are just, like, the world's most beat-up guitars, like, plugged in the eye to some, like, you know, rotting console or something (laughs) like that. But Rumble is one example where I actually got to do, like, a budget guitar situation or something like that, like, a uh, high budget, I suppose. And, yeah, it's pretty cool, because when I hear the song, I kind of, like, remember that that day where I just had, like, four hours to myself to play this, like, super simple guitar riff in this gigantic studio on a 1957 uh, Jaguar owned by Roy Lee yeah.
0: Wow. Daryl, what did you think yeah. when, you fir- when you heard those new guitars, the new version?
2: Oh, uh, I, I you know I like I like rock anyways, you know, and uh, you know when I heard the way that he played it and everything, I'm like, that's it right there because you know it it drove it drove me to to really put the energy into it that the song deserves, you know. Yeah. And I think when I when I heard Yannetan playing it, I because I'm I'm kind of a you know I'm a, I'm an older guy, but I'm kind of still wild, you know, and I like that. <laughs> You know i'm a warrior i'm a vet. you know and i like that wild that wild sound and i think most people do too you know and uh i i remember when we did the first show in providence together in 2019 and a couple of my friends that were there that were musicians and i asked them, i go how did, how did you like that song rumble and and one of the musicians says you know he goes that song it just creates a frenzy it makes you go wild crazy people are jumping up and down and, and dancing and everything and i'm like you know we had dances out there too as well from different nations i had a mohegan guy i had a guy from out west i had my son and they were all dancing to rumble out there and it was just such a you know it was a powerful show you know it wasn't a huge show we
1: probably Irish had about
2: seven thousand people there you know and mind-blowing uh, yeah it was just it was intense you know and I think that was when I really was like, you know what? This, this song is going gonna, gonna to take off. You know, and we, we, we did it again that year. We went to the Vancouver Jazz Festival and uh, we mic'd the drum up, like super mic'd it up. I think they had one of those moon mics under it or something. And it was so intense with the drum that the ground below us was shaking and people were laying on it. To get the vibration of the drum and when when Jonathan kicked in with 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 rumble, it was all over people were just they were losing their minds you know and wow I think that's when that's I what to- I really liked, you know
1: <laughs> when we talk to sound people when we play live we always tell them like make the make the power drum like techno like based on pe- techno music or something like just like lo- you know lowest, loudest, most powerful there is. And if we're kind of talking about studio trickery, don't get the wrong impression by me kind of over cheating and overdubbing my guitar and rumble. A lot, for me, a lot of what kind of makes this record like uh, speak to me is the fact that it's it's not like a fully electronic record. Sure. You know, call it that. It's like you're hearing people playing live, you know, and I think, but then there's like a lot of electronics too. For me, it's kind of like, it's a, it's a kind of like, a, it exists in that kind of hybrid zone where you can't even say if it's electronic or acoustic. And like what like you're saying about, traditional versus modern and why even make those distinctions, you know, it kind of like goes from like just being completely ethereal and kind of like, yeah. you know, to just being like a, dr- a bunch of people playing drums a lot of moments in this record You will all the musicians are just playing live a lot of moments, like some moments are overdubbed but one thing I kind of like that kind of occurred to me in that a lot during those sessions and I give credit to Seth Manchester for Machines with Magnets, who's kind of like, you know, engineered like probably thousands of records at this point. One of the kind of smartest uh, and, and kind of best like drum engineers and rock engineers in the world, however. It was really kind of like encouraging me to focus on getting like the drums kind of like, you know, and the vocals and things like that. We used some tricks to get the vocals that uh, we can talk about. But, uh, and, and, so a lot of the other instruments, sometimes we would like maybe change an instrument or something like that. Or like, maybe I kind of like played a bunch of guitar and then we're like, "Oh, well, the song doesn't really need that much guitar, you know, and I just, we just kind of mute it and there's a bunch of synths instead or something like that, whatever. But uh, the most of the time in this record, I would say like 90, 95% of the time in this record, you're hearing musicians playing. You're hearing human beings playing. It's not quantized. If we take it to electronic producers later, then they would shift like the kind of, The access of the song on top of what we're playing, not quantize what the musicians are playing. That's kind of like an important thing. Right,
0: like Like with Universalists, (laughs) your your record from a few years back, I mean, I know there's a lot of sampling on that. That was sort of a a lot of that kind of editing that you're talking about, but uh, it sounds to me like, especially with this project, keeping it rooted in live performance, live in the room kind of like feeling, that was really crucial to what you wanted to accomplish. What happens next when there are treatments and it is manipulated and sort of mutated? I I, I don't think yeah it sounds like that 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 live spirit carries through even even as things that. do become yeah. very interesting sounding and very spooky and yeah.
1: because it, it's it not it's not a machine it's not a click you know it still it has that like little human um uh, like deviation you oh know yeah what I mean? and. For me, that's something that I that I try to hold on to as much as I can because it's like you know obviously like most of the interesting music happening today is electronic you know but. Uh it still doesn't mean that we need, like, I think it's humans, we have this, like, really terrible instinct about technology in general. Every time there's something new, we're always, like, completely abandoning <laughs> yeah. the old. And I'm not trying to be, like, some Luddite here or something, you know. I'm not saying, like, that the new is evil. On the contrary, like, you know, if I listen to contemporary music, then it's just a bunch of fucked up sine waves, you know. But yeah. uh, what I'm saying is that we don't have to chug away everything you know we can kind of like like we were saying earlier there's in a way there's no difference between the old and the new they're all kind of like existing at the same time you know creating this weird kind of like present moment in which we're improvising and reacting to each other yeah. you know so yeah that kind of brings us full circle back to what we are talking about earlier
0: Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million-plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras the DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Daryl, you you wrote in the bio for the album about uh, I guess some people might call it like a vision, but you I think you used the term dream, and you yeah. brought up the way there's a magical sound to this record that it feels like there's something otherworldly that you were all able to tap into in this, this vision, uh, you uh, were, were walking towards a burial ground, right? Or no, this was real. You were walking towards a burial ground. Then you had the vision, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I was walking and it like, it came into my head, you know, it was like, you know, it was, it was really like a dream, you know what I mean? And I saw like, you know, old style dances, like dancing on the top of the plateau with a, where the uh, burial ground was you know and it was just for a few a few seconds and then i you know uh, i kept my walk because it's about a about a half mile down to the burial ground from where i was and i got down there and i'm like wow that was like that was crazy that was intense too and i'm like you know there's something going on here and that was before i started you know before i started drumming and uh and then
0: when was that do you remember about when what year years like maybe
2: 15 years ago mm, yeah maybe even a little longer than that yeah because uh it was before i started so maybe 15 16 years ago and i was like you know really into the the culture at that point you know and stuff and uh all of a sudden i just had this thing like you know boy I, maybe i should be playing the drums you know and and then it just came together i, I was asked to help with a, a cultural program up at the rhode island indian council which uh the person that asked me ended up getting sick and couldn't do it and i took over it and you know it kind of just blossomed you know from there and other people came from other tri- tribes and they're like hey you know look we're, we're gonna help you out one guy was a drummer and he was like yeah i'm gonna show you how to drum and You know, he's like, oh, man, he goes, you're a natural. You just picked it right up, you know, and uh, I did. And then, you know, we were playing, you know, uh, songs from before and stuff. And then that's when it started coming into my head because I had been taught by, you know, uh, Clint Wixon, who was an elder of the uh, nation, some of the language. And I was like, you know what, I I could make some, some songs out of this. And they could be, you know, beneficial. And that's that's kind of what happened. I started like I'd be in the shower and I'd be I'd hear the the words and I'm like, oh wow, that's that's cool. Let me put that into uh into a song, you know. And that's what I did. I remember the first song that I wrote, it was called Noka Brave. It was after some of my uh ancestors on my grandfather's side, uh the the um the Noka family. He married into the Noka family. He was a fry, which is you know, a traditional name down at the Narragansett Indian tribe. So I wrote this song called Dope Brave, and it had just a little bit of language in it and, um, you know, some chant and everything. And when we tried, we played it, you know, when we were out, and then people were like, hey, that's a cool song, you know. And so we played that, and we kept playing the old ones. And then yeah. I just started getting, like, all this, like, energy to just write these songs, you know. And my uh my good friend um Julianne Jennings, who was uh she was a professor at um uh Rhode Island College. And that was her that was her study was language, her and her husband, and you know, she gave me some consultation about some of the words and stuff, and I started writing more and more and more, and you know, that's when we started doing, you know, powwows and stuff like that. So It was kind of like, it was gifted to me, you know?
1: It was gifted
2: to me but you know, to write these songs and to just do it. You know, I had no knowledge of it. And I'm a firm believer is that you are what your ancestors were, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's in my blood already. It just was brought out by what I was doing. And I think that's the whole beauty of what, what happened with Eastern Medicine Singers. I named a drum group, you know? And I said to the guys, I go, you know what, we're from the East, you know, and our songs are, are you know, good medicine for the people. Let's just call it the Eastern Medicine Singers. And yeah. That's what we've been forever, you know. And uh, it's been a journey because we played all over the place, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the music is, is very different. Some people didn't like it. They were used to the Western style music, you know. And uh, we just kept playing it, you know, and you know, a lot of people enjoyed the Eastern traditionals style that we were doing and the fact that we were writing the songs ourselves in our own, our own language. So I think that's kind of what the, uh, the beauty is of it, is that it's uh, a dying language that's being kind of brought to life through music.
0: Yeah, Daybreak specifically, I think you said something, there's something like less than 10 people in the world who would understand that Algonquin, uh, Massachusetts dialect, which is, I mean, so, just the idea that, like, the idea that that's gone out into the world, that must be tremendously exciting for both of you, that, like... That what you're part of is both a furthering and a preservation of uh, of something, which is just that's that's like the that's the the goal I have to imagine.
2: Yeah, that is. I mean that's like the biggest goal is to you know to put that language back out there and everything and to let other people hear it. And you know, the big thing is is to make the Eastern people here, you know, proud that they have their own, you know, heritage, their own songs and everything. And there are, you know, there are other Speakers, you know the Nipmucks have kept their their language alive for a long time, and the Massachusetts they are the ones who originally translated that Eliot Bible that was made back in the sixteen hundreds. So that's like was the basis for the language that a lot of people used. And uh, there was the Algonquin Indian School in Rhode Island that uh, mentor uh, Donald Fisher Three Bears. He taught from there along with some of the others um, uh, from. The Nipmuc tribe, so they will use this language is kind of like universal towards everybody here.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah.
2: The, the Wampanoag language is is di- it's just a hair different. You know, it's like, it, you know, it's not the same as uh, Narragansett, but it's in between. So that it, if you are speaking it, you can you can understand it. You know, yeah. the words are words are a little bit different. You know, but very
0: similar. Jonathan, uh, Daryl mentioned that he felt like the music that that the group makes is is good medicine for the people. I, I wonder, did you feel, how did you feel after this collaboration, which was in five, five years and obviously ongoing through live performances. But did you feel different or did you feel? I guess to use the word healed would be a little bit goofy or anything like that. But in terms of the medicinal quality, what sense do you have of that?
1: When, uh, I met Eastern Medicine Singers five years ago. And like a lot of uh, good relationships, it kind of uh, developed slowly. You know, It took us six months to even meet again after that first meeting. But we kept in touch, you know, there and I yeah. always, since we met. But uh, it took us six months for for me to kind of like be in the area and there was an idea that we wa- wanted to try six months later so that's when we recorded our first song and then I have this is a record that I kind of worked a little painstakingly about on so it took kind of like another year for that record to come out and then like a few shows and then we got invited to play more shows so we started to tour together and the years go by and then like COVID happens and Vera and I start talking on the phone all the time and I mean, we were talking before, but started talking more. And hey, it's just like it, it's kind of like it. I feel like the magical music of medicine singers just kind of got added into my life. You know, and I can already say that the record just came out. You know, it's very it's, it's impossible to suss any any kind of kind of its effect on on people. But you know, I've been hearing nice responses. I also try not to think about these things too much. too. Once the people It's just like, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, reasons to to release music, you know? And um, yeah, but based on uh, the relationship with medicine singers, it's just like so incredible that we actually started the label. Uh, Carl from Joyful Noise, my my old record label, I suppose, or current Mm because they're partners. Uh, We started a record label called Stone Tapes. And I've always had friends in New York that from kind of different tradi- traditions of music. You know, Jamie is kind of, he's from free jazz and I kind of play like loud rock and roll music, I suppose, um, and Hassan Ben Jafal, for example, who's like the singer for Inognawa, him and I always jam together yeah. and stuff, you know, and we never, and we recorded over the years and stuff like that, but um, we started to, Car- Carl and I, from, Carl from Joyful Noise and I started talking about like, what happens if it would be a label? to explore those kind of collaborations you know and we talked a lot about like what what does it mean you know to kind of um to kind of go on that journey you know and yeah what we found is that when you kind of create the right right, the right situation from it like a place of improvisation and kind of freedom and things like that then those differences kind of blur like we're 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 talking about earlier and now we're kind of like doing a whole label kind of like dedicated to just those collaborations be- between traditions and, and a lot of other projects. you know. I mean, like, that's so amazing. I, that's already like one way that medicine singers really influenced my life and changed it.
0: I mean, you've collaborated with people from all over the world, obviously. Uh, Os Mutantes comes to mind, uh, Tal National, you know, you've got these like different groups. It really does feel like um, loud electric guitar is a little bit of a universal language to some degree or another. <laughs>
1: yeah. I hear punk when I hear those oh, music. Yeah. You know, like for me, like one of the best things. But I mean, punk is kind of like almost like a funny word. You know, I hate all those subgenres. I hate the genres, and the subgenres are even worse. I <laughs> think you know. But like, you know, I like, I'm fine with rock or something. But even that embarrasses me a little yeah. bit. You know, but uh, like, I think one of the nice things about the subgenre called punk or something like that is that it kind of like really reconnected rock and roll music with something that was in Link Ray. You know and with a certain energy and urgency. And I remember like hearing that in International the first time I saw yeah. them live, hearing that in Eastern Medicine Singers when I saw them play, like that spirit, I think the spirit of like urgency and intensity and I don't know, resistance and, you know, is is completely universal. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: How about you, Daryl? Uh, you mentioned being a rock guy. Uh, were you, are you a punk guy too? Do you get down with uh, punk music?
2: No, I never really was a punk music. You know, I like the traditional, classic rock and stuff. And you know, uh, what you kind
0: know, of like stuff? Skinner. What kind of stuff do you mean? I mean, I, I, like Glenn and
2: Skinner. You know, they're native as well. You know, uh, sure. <laughs> one of my favorite songs is "Simple Man" because it kind of describes me. You know,
1: I didn't know Skinner were native. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. either. Actually, Same. Yeah, Yep, they definitely yeah. are, and they have that style.
2: You know. There's a certain style that I like. I mean, uh, uh, there's a lot of other guys that, you know, going along that, like Eric Clapton. And then, you know, Eric Clapton learned his, you know, he learned his stuff from Muddy Waters and all those, all those really good hardcore blues players. And, you know, those guys, I kind of grew up with that music because my father was, my father and mother were music buffs. They loved all those and they took me to all the the different concerts and stuff. And I, I can remember one time I went, uh, we had a concert in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, and we lived outside there. My father goes, You're gonna love this guy. I go, Who is it? He goes, His name's Luther Guitar Johnson. You know, and for some reason my father knew him. I don't know how, when he took me over and introduced me to him, and I was just mortified. Wow, I'm shaking hands with Luther, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And then I,
2: I saw him like maybe a long time after because i had been in the military i came home i got married and, and i told my wife i go you know what luth is playing let's go see him i know him she thought i was crazy you know and so after all those years i walked up to him and he remembered me you know because i was a little kid i go luth did you remember i came up like oh man how the how you doing but you know what i mean so it was like you know i i always i always liked that 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 style of music you know. Uh, Yeah, you know some of the other guys like Ted Nugent, Stranglehold, that type of, you know, that that intense music. And he didn't even he had hardly no vocals in it. But when it came out, you know, it was powerful song.
0: yeah, I'll, and, defi- uh, I'll I'll definitely say that I prefer Ted Nugent when he's not talking at all, actually. But <laughs> as a guitarist, though, there's no denying some of those tunes for sure. Oh yeah, he's
2: he just you know he's he's fantastic. You know, I mean he's crazy, he's funny. I mean, I, you know, to me, I I like I like his style because my style is like simplicity, like that. You know, sure. not a lot of nonsense, but I get right down to to it. You know, and I think. That's what a lot of these guys are. And I think, you know, to be honest with you, the best musicians are crazy.
0: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. No doubt about no that. No doubt about it. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm crazy. Yeah, that,
2: Jonathan <laughs> will tell you that every day, you know. <laughs> Chief, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you <laughs> <know>? <laughs> I You'd- mean, we, we, uh, we did some stuff. We, we were asked one time to play at a local Irish pub, you know. And uh, the guy who owned it, he was from out there, you know, and he told all his guests, he had a group from Ireland coming up. They were coming in. And here we all come in there in regalia. <laughs> 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 War bonnets on everything. And we come in the drum, you know, and we played with some of the, the the Irish fiddlers that are up there and everything. So it's like, you know, pretty much we can do anything, you know, and yeah, uh, rock rock just fit. You know, it fit right in there because it's got that same intensity that that we have. You know, and I, I think to this show that we did in uh, well, where we were in Ottawa, and they wrote up about us. You know, and Yannetan playing, and the guy who wrote it said, "I've never saw the intensity of a group that was playing for one hour straight without even any breaks, talking anything, and hitting the drum for an hour." And playing like Jonathan did. I mean, he he was like, just that alone made the made the show, you know? And uh I think that it takes a lot of like energy and a lot of craziness to be able to do that. And you get fired up, don't get me wrong, after I, I heard it, I'm sixty-two
1: years old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Craziness is an international there language. There you go. Love
0: guitars and craziness. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we all understand that. Yeah, you know.
2: And I mean, just a lot of our shows, you, we show up know? with war paint on. You know, mm-hmm. traditional Easter war paint, and I mean, people
1: love it. We love it. You know, you know, I, you know one thing. One thing interesting about war paint that I felt after playing with you guys. Uh, once we played a festival, and I think we played like three shows in the same day or something like that. it was just intense. And uh, the medicine singers were wearing, uh, you know, war paint, like kind of like face paint and stuff like that. You know, looks very intense and, you know, kind of amazing. And then at night, I was invited to some party and I invited Dean to come with me from, uh, from the band and from medicine singers. And of course, Dean always wants to kind of like come and hang and meet people and stuff like that. So he joined me. And, but he went to the hotel and showered before the party. And then he, sh- after seeing him all day and playing like three shows with him with this kind of war paint, there was an interesting moment where he showed up without it all of a sudden after, because I kind of got used to seeing him with it. And I was like, all of a sudden, I'm looking at him and I'm like, he looks so like gentle, you know what I mean? Like the opposite of what war paint does to you. And I thought that that could have been, must have been like really amazing, must, must be kind of like a, a, a big part of what war paint is for, you know, that moment of like fragility when you remove it. Or
2: something. Yeah, yeah it definitely. You know, it's just like in the military when we put the camouflage paint on. You know, it's all business. You yeah. know, when we put the war paint on, you you feel it. There's like two effects.
1: Yeah. There's two effects. The effect that you get when you see the person with war paint, and then the effect that you get after you've been around that person with war paint and see him or, or her without it. Yeah. You know, and that it kind of it's kind of like kind of like a double edged story. It's really, it's really interesting. It was um. Yeah, amazing experience. And yeah, you talked about medicine earlier too. And now, like one, one thing I remember really vividly about playing concerts for the medicine singers over the years is that I would, would start to hallucinate. You know, we would start to play kind of like repetitive, kind of like just like yeah. chord for like a long time, very very loud. And that's really there in that music, you know, like uh, something that that makes you hallucinate, you know. Like I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know that much about power music. That's that's more that's more Daryl's department. But I can definitely say that to me, a part of medicine is this kind of like, especially like, for example, power is also kind of like the power drum. It's kind of loud and it kind of encapsulates the entire body almost. It's very physical. That's why we took such great pains to kind of document that physicality, you know. And uh, yeah, I can say personally that um, without necessarily any use of drugs or anything like that, I've had like very transformative, like hallucinatory experiences uh, participating in this oh. Yeah. And to me, maybe that's a little bit of what you mean when you say medicine yeah. sometimes, you know, that's, that's, that's always what I think, but absolutely, you know, it's not very, for me to say. No.
0: Well, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to talk with me about this record. It's been a real blast getting the chance to speak with you.
1: Thank you, us as well. Yeah, it's been great, man. Thank you so much. It's uh, we love this. Yeah. You know. And we love well, it. I do
0: too, and I thank yeah. you both for taking your time, taking uh, time to speak with me about it. And we'll catch up again. And uh, good luck out there. Be safe, and thanks so much for for hanging out with us on transmissions. I appreciate it. Thanks, All guys. All right, brother. Goodbye. Peace. Bye. Bye. so much for joining us as always we appreciate your listen you can support the podcast by checking out aquarium drunkard on patreon your support helps us keep making the show beyond that we'd love it if you left a review or a five star rating on apple podcasts be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode transmissions is a part of the Talkhouse podcast network i'm jason woodbury and i write host and produce the show our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Thanks as always for the stalwart work. Our show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. All right, spread the word if you dig transmissions next week on the show. Author, label head, and musician Nabil Ayers. This transmission is concluded.